0: Hello and welcome to the Take Is Directed podcast. I'm Steve Morrison, Senior Vice President and Director of the CSIS Global Health Policy Center. Today we're delighted to hear from Dr. Daniel Lucy, Senior Scholar with the O'Neill Institute for National and Global Health Law at Georgetown University, a close friend and ally here uh, at CSIS in our global health work. Throughout Dan's career, he has worked on the front lines of emerging viral pandemics Uh, from HIV-AIDS to avian influenza to Ebola. Uh, We've asked Dan to join us today to discuss what he sees as one of the greatest known viral threats, yellow fever, and particularly what this poses in terms of critical gaps in availability of vaccines, of surveillance capacity, the threat that is posed in Asia that he um, is most keen to talk about, and the the challenges of changing the technology of producing uh, vaccines. Uh, It's a a series of fairly complicated challenges. We're going to start. Dan, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you, Steve, very much for being here uh, with me, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk at CSIS.
0: So let's start by talking about yellow fever and defining what the problem is. I know there's been much more attention paid in recent years. WHO released a global plan in 2016. We've had major outbreaks in Angola, bleeding into DRC, and cases exported to China. There's been a big outbreak and big campaign within Nigeria as well as in Brazil. So the yellow fever is is on the boards in a lot of very important places. Uh, the consciousness of the threat is up, but uh, for many of us, it's still a problem that, we're, that is not very well understood. So let's start with the basics. What is it about yellow fever that makes it the viral threat that it is? And what do we know and not know? And what are the major barriers at this point? Mm-hmm.
1: So yellow fever is a, a virus, a member of the flavivirus uh, family. It's transmitted by Aedes mosquitoes, the same mosquitoes that transmit Zika virus, chikungunya virus, dengue virus. Um, And yellow fever virus has no treatment in terms of a specific antiviral drug or immune-based antibody treatment. Um, But good news is that there is a very effective vaccine against yellow fever. Uh, It's been uh, available for about 80 years. It was developed in 1937. Um, However, it uses very old technology. In other words, it's grown in eggs, and not just any old eggs, but specific pathogen-free eggs. So there's a limit to how much vaccine can be produced in a short period of time if uh, the world needed to surge the amount of vaccine production suddenly. Uh, It would be not really possible.
0: Now, um, I was struck in reading in preparation for this, I was struck by The fact that the actual coverage, vaccination coverage rates, are fairly low in many parts of the world. Why is that? Why is it that yellow fever has not gotten uh, sufficient attention up until just recently? Why is it that this, as a threat, is not acknowledged and acted upon in the same way that others, other threats, are?
1: So I think that. What you said is is certainly true prior to two thousand and five, and to a lesser extent um, since then. Um, But there is a international collaborative uh, effort uh, that includes the UNICEF and Gavi and World Health Organization um, that has a global stockpile of yellow fever vaccine of about six million doses, um, and that advocated. uh, for countries in Sub-Saharan Africa, where yellow fever is endemic, uh, particularly in West Africa, and countries in Latin America and the Caribbean, where there's uh, also yellow fever is endemic, um, to start vaccinating in children, um, as well as when there's an outbreak to do uh, reactive mass vaccination. And that seems to have uh, provided benefit to countries in West Africa that did this um, vaccination as, as uh, advised um, and as implemented by, by uh, the health ministers and, and those governments in West Africa. But it didn't include, for example, Angola and DR Congo and even Nigeria to the extent that it, did, that, uh, it needed to in order to provide uh, immunity across the, across the country, across the society, uh, so-called herd immunity. And and so we had this terrible outbreak in Angola, which spread from the capital, Luanda, throughout the entire country, and then went north to DR Congo, including as far north as the capital, Kinshasa, where in August of 2016, seven and a half million people received yellow fever vaccine, but there was a global shortage, and so they were only able to receive one-fifth, that is 20% of the normal dose, which WHO said at the time, Uh, will protect for at least one year. Mm -hmm. But a full dose of yellow fever vaccine, and this is very good news and very important, protects, according to World Health Organization, since 2016, they said it protects you for lifetime. Mm -hmm. So that's really great news. If you get a single dose of yellow fever vaccine, then you could be protected for lifetime. But if you get the what's called fractional dose or Mm one-fifth dose, protection is at least for one year, but we don't know how much longer. Well, it's already been close to two years. It's been 22 months since August of 2016. And to my knowledge, the seven and a half million people in Kinshasa who got the one-fifth dose in 2016, they haven't gotten another dose. So are they still protected or are they not?
0: So the, the story you're telling is that whenever there's an awakening, whether it's in Nigeria, it's in DR Congo, It's in Brazil. Whenever there's an awakening that, my gosh, we better move towards mass vaccination here. We have a serious problem. You run flat up against the shortage of vaccine, and you move to fractional dosage. And fractional dosage is is just a stopgap. It doesn't really fix the problem in any long-term way. It's just a stopgap measure.
1: That's exactly right. Um, It doesn't uh, fix the problem in a long-term way in the way that a full dose of yellow fever vaccine would. Um, but that said, I agree with the WHO's response in Kinshasa in August of 2016. It was mm-hmm. to stop the spread of yellow fever into uh, other parts of DR Congo, but also across the Congo River to Brazzaville, the capital republic of Congo, which you can see yeah. from one shore to the other, you know, Kinshasa to Brazzaville. And, um, but that was the first time uh, in DR Congo, August 2016, first time ever that a reduced dose or fractional dose as the term WHO prefers had for a fever vaccine had ever been used. We'd never had such a shortage before that. Unfortunately, now ongoing right now in 2018, There's a very serious shortage in Brazil of yellow fever vaccine, which is the country that produces the most yellow fever vaccine in the world. There's not enough for Brazil. So they've been using this one-fifth or 20% fractional dosing this year, 2018, in an ongoing effort to vaccinate twice as many people as in Kinshasa in 2016. In other words, 15 million people in Brazil.
0: But again, only for a stopgap.
1: Well, yes, but they are... uh, Increase, Brazil is increasing uh, as much as possible their yellow fever vaccine production because, of course, they would like to be able to give a full dose of vaccine. And earlier this year, earlier in 2018, um, Brazil and the health minister decided, and the decision was uh, is, is to be implemented that by the end of next year, 2019, another 77 million people. In fact, most of the population of Brazil is supposed to be vaccinated against yellow fever. So
0: in the case of Brazil, it appears that you have the high-level political will in order to move towards expanded manufacturing of the vaccines in order to meet those targets for the nation. Is that correct? Uh,
1: Yes, I think that's correct. Uh, The political will is essential. Uh, And then there's also, of course, the the financial uh, resources. So the government
0: is stepping forward to finance this manufacturers are cooperating? Are these private sector manufacturers who are coming in in order to expand the manufacturing capacity for the vaccine?
1: So there's one manufacturer, there has been one manufacturer in Brazil, one in Russia, one in Senegal, and one in France. Mm-hmm. Those are the four global vaccine manufacturers um, that that um, are their vaccine's able to be used anywhere in the world. It's what's yeah. called pre-qualified or yeah. PQ by the yeah. World Health Organization. Yeah. The, uh, the exact financing of the expanded production of yellow fever vaccine in Brazil, I'm not certain about, yeah. but I know that it's happening, and I know that it's very urgent, and I know that the, the government and the public health officials uh, and, and clinicians in, in Brazil recognize that urgency. I'm sure they wouldn't want to be giving uh, the one-fifth dose because it's not gonna protect you for life. At some point, you're gonna to have to come back and revaccinate people. So it's, a, it's an urgent issue. It's been recognized as such in Brazil. And the decision to vaccinate everyone in Brazil, which is another 77 million people by the end of 2019, is a, a major decision. And in my view, it's, um, it's a good decision and it shows important national leadership. So let's
0: compare that with what's happened in Nigeria. Nigeria of the West African countries, of course, it's the the behemoth country, right? Um, 170 million people, uh, an an unknown total, but it's a gargantuan population and very uh, underserved in terms of coverage rates. Um, on routine vaccinations, including yellow fever. And, and now they've had this wake up call in terms of uh, outbreaks, and they're, they've made some efforts to move towards uh, mass vaccination. What's happened?
1: Yes. Yeah. So, my understanding um, with regard to Nigerian yellow fever is that there have been epidemics in, in years past, some of which have been quite serious. Um, they have a lot of experience with yellow fever. Uh, there's a very senior uh, virologist, Dr. Omori. From Nigeria, who's president of the National Academy of of Science scientists. He's a virologist, someone I respect uh, as a colleague and a friend. Um, He co chaired the um, WHO's 2016 emergency committee to advise the then Director General uh, whether to declare a public health emergency of international concern or not. and he's quoted in a, just this week in the Bulletin of the World Health Organization, there's an update on yellow fever and global issues and concerns. And he he, he acknowledges or states just what you did, that the um, percentage of people vaccinated against yellow fever in Nigeria is, is far too low to prevent its spread. So there, since last year, there's been an outbreak Uh, end of last year, beginning of this year, uh, January, an outbreak of yellow fever in certain parts, certain states. And so Nigeria has started um, vaccinating uh, in areas at risk and areas that are thought to be at risk in the near future against yellow fever. And they're using full dose vaccine. Mm -hmm. So again, to me, that's much preferable to one fifth dose, but I'm sure Brazil and just like DRC in 2016 wouldn't have used one-fifth dose if they had a choice, if there was enough vaccine. So Nigeria is using um, full-dose vaccine. The plan, as I understand it, is to eventually vaccinate 25 million people in Nigeria, which would make it the largest yellow fever vaccine campaign ever in Nigeria. But again, um, the question in my mind is, uh, for how long will, we, will the world have enough yellow fever vaccine to allow use of full-dose in some countries, such mm-hmm. as Nigeria, mm-hmm. um, but not in other countries, such as DRC in 2016 and Brazil now in 2018. Um, it, it's, it's really a major issue. We really need to have enough full-dose vaccine because it will confer lifelong protection.
0: Let's come back to that in a moment. Uh, let's complete the question of of what is the nature of the problem? Okay, if I if I'm if I come down with yellow fever, what happens? So
1: in about 15% of, um, of people who get yellow fever uh, infection, and it's called yellow fever because the whites of your eyes turn yellow because of the jaundice due to the liver damage uh, by this virus. But it, this virus also, also can damage your kidneys and other parts of, uh, of the body. Um, and uh, so 15% of people become very ill and can bleed profusely because of the liver damage. You can uh, have hemorrhage, and about half of the 15%, so 8%, die. Mm-hmm. And so, of a uh, 15% of, of a big number is a very big number. Then there's the healthcare resources that are required to, to, to provide care to patients who have a yellow fever and who are quite sick. Uh, and then there's always the issue of the transmission uh, from mosquitoes. And the
0: transmission is entirely through mosquitoes, through the Aedes aegypti mosquito.
1: Yes. In fact, the Aedes aegypti is um, also known as the yellow fever uh, mosquito. Um, right.
0: And if we've had the spread of Zika and the spread of chikungunya through this mosquito vector, Why haven't we seen more yellow fever spread Mm. if it's spread by the same vector?
1: We don't know the full answer to that, um, but we do know that there's yellow fever in multiple countries in sub-Saharan Africa and in Latin America. And in Asia, uh, there's never been an outbreak of yellow fever. There were 11 Chinese nationals working in Angola in 2016 who got infected there and then flew home to China. But it was during uh, the cold part of the year, the winter or late winter, and so the mosquitoes weren't biting, so there's no risk of transmission. But obviously, in Asia, as everyone knows, there's many, many um, uh, outbreaks of of dengue. There's also Zika, and there's also chikungunya. Um, So why there hasn't been any recognized uh, epidemics of yellow fever in Asia, we don't know. Some people say, well, if you get dengue, then maybe your immune response to dengue protects you against yellow fever. Well, I'm not convinced by that argument because there are many people in Asia who don't have dengue infection, um, uh, but they haven't gotten yellow fever. Um, other people say, well, maybe there's something different about the, the mosquito, the, the Aedes aegypti in, in Asia compared to Africa or Latin America. And I think great. Then just show us the evidence for that. And And I've never seen that evidence. So I think that yellow fever in Asia is Likely to occur, and the impact would be so high in terms of public health, in terms of individual patients suffering illness, and in terms of um, economic impact.
0: So let's let's focus on that uh, that threat. I mean, you uh, it's very clear in your writings uh, that you believe that there's a significant risk of outbreak in Asia. Uh, we haven't seen that yet. So explain the logic that's led you to that conclusion, which is a, you know, that's a dramatic conclusion to say the world is at risk here. We may see transmission into Asia. How did you arrive at that conclusion?
1: Yes. So first, I'd like to say it's not only my idea, and I'm yeah. not the first person. Uh, yeah. There are multiple other investigators who have mm-hmm. published papers, particularly uh, since 2016 with the 11 or so people going back to China from Angola with yeah. with yellow fever, really. Yeah. And, and, and I would say that more and more over the past year and a half, the World Health Organization has also raised the uh, level of concern about yellow fever coming to Asia, mm-hmm. even though the... World Health Organization's document called it "Eliminating Yellow Fever Epidemics," abbreviated EYE, eliminating yellow fever epidemics, which they um, called together experts uh, and produced this document in September of 2016. So right after the first time ever Kinshasa was, you know, uh, the site of the one fifth uh, dose of yellow fever vaccine. So this document um, is the strategic framework, if you will, for how to eliminate yellow fever epidemics within 10 years, so by 2026. But in that document, it stated that 1.38 billion doses of yellow fever vaccine will be needed by 2026 to eliminate yellow fever in the places we know it exists now, which is sub-Saharan Africa and Latin America. There is one or two sentences in this long document that say it's possible the virus could come to Asia, and Mm -hmm. we haven't planned for vaccinate anyone in Asia. But more recently, last month in the Bulletin of the World Health Organization, and then this month, um, there was discussion about planning and anticipating and predicting the risk of yellow fever coming to Asia. So, for example, by looking at airline passenger patterns, people flying from parts of the world, Sub-Saharan Africa and Latin America where there is yellow fever and that's endemic, mm-hmm. and then flying to India or to China or to elsewhere in the Americas um, where people are not protected against yellow fever mm-hmm. so if you've never gotten the yellow fever vaccine and you've never gotten yellow fever infection then you have no immunity
0: but we haven't seen outbreaks yet in Asia right we do have lots of air traffic between countries that where yellow fever is endemic into Asia but we haven't seen we saw the instance of the 11. Chinese coming from Angola in 16. So we do have that instance. Are there other? Are we seeing an accumulation of other episodes that are raising the alarm bell?
1: To my knowledge, there hasn't been anyone else documented uh, yeah. to have uh, yellow fever uh, and, and traveled to yeah. to Asia. Um, certainly, it's an issue. There's a potential issue of surveillance. How much? How many people are being tested? Because yeah. uh, getting. Inflammation of the liver and jaundice, yellow eyes uh, it can be caused by many, many viruses and bacteria and other causes. Um, so if you don't test, then you don't find, uh, for example, yellow fever or anything else. So again, there's this uh, basically um, a position that uh, if, if there's never been a disease, in this case yellow fever in a certain place, in this case, Asia, then there must be something that's protecting people. Mm-hmm. Because it's never happened before, it won't happen in the future. And I think that's a, um, a dangerous argument, basically. And I think you can look at recent history with other virus outbreaks in other parts of the world that occurred for the first time. So West Nile virus was never found in the Americas before August of 1999 in New York. Uh, chikungunya was never found in the Americas before December of uh, of 2013. And now there's more than two and a half million cases reported by Pan American Health Organization in the Americas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zika was never found uh, in the Americas uh, until um, probably 2014, mm-hmm. maybe late 2013. Um, uh, so the precedent is there, in my view, for Yellow fever occurring in a new geography, in this case in Asia, which, of course, is a huge place. So it it may not just be in China or India, the countries with the the largest populations. could be Indonesia or Pakistan or or Philippines Mm -hmm. or somewhere else. But again, the, the counter argument has been, well, we've never seen it. So it won't occur. We've never seen it. There must be something that we don't understand that's protected people. So it must be that if you get another flavivirus infection in Asia, like dengue, which is very widespread, that somehow that protects you against yellow fever uh, virus. But again, my but camera— But that's
0: supposition. That's not been well, proven. Well, it's,
1: it's, it's sub- supposition. Um, uh, it, it's not been proven because—and again, there are many people without dengue— yeah. infection and therefore dengue immunity or maybe there's something different about the eighties aegypti mosquito in Asia compared to Latin America or sub-Saharan Africa but again there's to my evidence to my knowledge no evidence to support that um, so are the
0: Chinese and others in Asia taking preemptive actions now i mean the Chinese obviously after SARS the outlook the preparedness the mobilization politically and institutionally against emerging or unforeseen outbreaks changed profoundly, right?
1: I mean, yes, and it's, it's been a sustained change. And, They're at and, the cutting edge now, leading edge. Of, so I would
0: expect the Chinese would, if this, if this threat exists, that they would be examining it very closely. Is that true?
1: Well, I think that it is, and I can speak briefly from personal experience. Uh, I was fortunate to be able to meet with some uh, senior officials involved um, from China, uh, involved with vaccine uh, production uh, in May, of, first week of May of 2016, here in Washington D.C. Um, at a meeting at Georgetown University, and they kindly invited me to come to Beijing the next month, June of 2016. Mm-hmm. So exactly 24 months ago, um, to talk with them about why I thought that yellow fever was, you know, a threat to come to Asia.
0: Yeah.
1: And they were very uh, uh, welcoming hosts. We had uh, excellent uh, discussion um and they do make and I think this is a very important point China does and has um, uh, made yellow fever vaccine each year but it's a very small number of doses 300,000 mm-hmm. um whereas maybe 2017 50 million doses approximately were made uh, by the other four manufacturers so this is 0.3 million doses per year and that's to be given to um, people traveling uh, for work or otherwise to areas of the world like mm-hmm. sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, where there is yellow fever. Um, <clears throat> but it's not, their vaccine is, 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 is not uh, pre-qualified by World Health Organization, so it can't be used outside of China. Although the government of Angola inv- uh, asked China to bring their vaccine in, into Angola in 2016 and vaccinate Chinese nationals, and they, mm-hmm. and they agreed to do that. Um, so I think that uh, one thing that I proposed uh, as, a, as and it's still today, I'd like to emphasize as a potential start to the solution to the shortage of um, yellow fever vaccine is that countries that make yellow fever vaccine, but it's not—they're not they're not pre-qualified by World Health Organization, of which there's only two, the United States and China, that they consider pre-qualifying their vaccine with World Health Organization as an initial step to them being able to the uh, exp- base? Yes, especially in my view, especially now before a, a big um, global problem happens, which you could argue is already happening. Brazil, for example, uh, mm-hmm. Nigeria, 2016, the Congo. Um, but again, we're really limited by how the vaccine is made. This 80-year-old since 1937 technology with special pathogen-free eggs. So, yes, you can boost production a certain amount. Um, but there are limits to it. So Kinshasa has maybe 10 million people, and we didn't invent a vaccine for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are many cities in Asia, as you know, Steve, with with more than 10 million people. And what would happen if if there was outbreaks uh, of yellow fever in one or more of those cities? Then it would be likely to spread to other cities
0: Right, and we're likely to face an, an emergency in which the best you can do is fractional dosage.
1: Yes, and, uh, and perhaps one tenth dose, but that's never been used. But I don't think you can go below that. So yeah. one fifth is probably where we'd be. Now
0: you've made the case that, in terms of meeting the the clear gap in manufacturing capacity and the clear gap in the availability of vaccine, if there's only fifty million doses produced per year, that's just not enough in, in the event of a, of major outbreaks or or countries deciding. We must, like Brazil, we must go on scale to a national program of vaccination. Um, So there's two options. One is to pre-qualify those other two, and then motivate the industries to begin ramping up their production targets, get the existing four to ramp up their production uh, targets. How that is done is not clear to me, but that's one route. The second route you've mentioned is to Try to accelerate uh, the development of an alternative technology of a of a, of a cell culture uh, product means of production for the vaccine. So let's t- take those two uh, uh, pathways and yeah, and t- talk a little bit more about how do you how do you how do you move the dial on both of those? Mm-hmm. How do you move towards motivating countries? to come forward and incentivize in their industries those four plus two to to take this on and perhaps to bring other manufacturers into the mix what what is that going to take
1: so i think there is a well-established uh leadership coalition to produced yellow fever vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, Gavi, UNICEF, MSF, WHO, multiple organizations, and I think they've done a great job, but the virus has gotten ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And the evidence for that is what's happening in Brazil today in 2018, and what happened in Kinshasa and DRC in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the outbreak in Nigeria also, even though that they're, they're using full dose uh, vaccine there. Um, So I think the coalition exists, um, but there needs to be something more. First, there needs to be a recognition or um, acknowledgement of the problem that we need to produce a lot more vaccine, even for use in sub-Saharan Africa and, and Brazil and other places in Latin America. But we really need to incorporate Asia into the planning to eliminate yellow fever epidemics, EYE, by 2026 which is the WHO and the International Coalition's plan. So it it requires the political will, it requires the the international um, consensus, requires the economic uh, resources, um, I think that the vaccine that is produced in eggs that we've used for 80 years—that's the one that is uh, known to confer lifelong protection. But it is a live attenuated, meaning weakened vaccine, and so <clears throat> certain people are, 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 are not uh, supposed to get the vaccine if your immune system is very, very weak. Uh, there's also risk if you're over the age of 60, <clears throat> um, women who are pregnant, potentially. So, so who? who so, what vaccine could be offered? Uh, to them and uh, so that's why I think an inactivated vaccine um, for example if one was uh, created using cell culture that would be an option but we don't know if any other vaccine will protect you for life other than the one that we've been using for all these years but protection for one year five years 10 years in my view is better than no protection and so I think we need to do the two things that you rec- that you um, brought up for discussion, we need to do them both now in parallel. Um, So new technology, and there there are other uh, technologies also other than the traditional egg-based vaccines for yellow fever uh, that are being developed. For example, Dr. Tony Fauci at the National Institutes of Health, the NIAD, starting in July of 2016, began a a study using a new technology for a yellow fever vaccine, um, using something called Modified Vaccinia Ankara um, Vectored Vaccine. Um, The cell culture-derived vaccine actually was studied um, in a group of about 60 people in the United States, and it was published way back um, in in April of 2011 in the New England Journal of Medicine by uh, Dr. Tom Monath, one of the world's leading experts in yellow fever. But it was uh, uh, being uh, studied by a very small company, which then was bought by a larger company. Mm -hmm. But I think that the technology for cell culture yellow fever vaccine has been recently acquired by um, uh, a company in Canada, which is now talking about trying to find an industrial base to to produce, to test the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So it will take years for the regulatory process for using a cell-based or any other new technology type of yellow fever vaccine for it to be shown to be safe and effective. Mm -hmm. So it's years away. For me, that's all the more reason to get started now, at the same time to, increase as much as possible the current yellow fever vaccine, which protects for life, which is live attenuated, which is grown in special pathogen-free eggs. So just to close and emphasize on that point, I think that the two countries in the world, China and the United States, that already make some yellow fever vaccine, but only for domestic use, Mm -hmm. and those vaccines are not pre-qualified.
0: I should step forward
1: and show leadership work together It's something that China and the United States can do together. Mm-hmm. Perhaps in other countries, will want to step forward. For example, India. India, and I should say I'm only speaking for myself here. I'm not speaking for Georgetown University or anybody. It's just my own opinion from a career of 40 years going to outbreaks and trying to anticipate them and trying to take action ahead of time. So I'd like to say there's no lessons learned except from except for those proven by actions taken. So the actions that we need to take are to produce a lot more of the current yellow fever vaccine and develop new technologies to make yellow fever vaccines. So India, for example, I learned recently until 2012 also produced some yellow fever vaccine, not a lot, um, but that stopped as of 2012. But it means that the the precedent is there the, uh, for having made the yellow fever vaccine so that if they perceived yellow fever coming to Asia or coming to India uh, uh, as a... As a a real risk, then they do have that historical precedent of having made some yellow fever vaccine.
0: I would think also that much more can be done in terms of requiring people who are traveling to be vaccinated against yellow fever. If they're traveling from or to areas where there is yellow fever, that there could be more action taken by countries in requiring and then overseeing that there's true compliance with that requirement. Um, you say a bit more about that. I mean, the control of the transmission of this could begin, could be the controls could be enhanced if there were much better uh, requirements and and oversight of those requirements for for travelers. no?
1: Yes, absolutely true. And that's something that we can and should. Be doing a lot more of today, yesterday, last last year, and and, and going forward. And there was a a modeling uh, paper uh, that. Um partially address this. It was just came out about a month ago, I think, in the Bulletin of the World Health Organization with a distinguished uh, spectrum of, of authors from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, from uh, Toronto, from the United States Centers for Disease Control, and, and elsewhere. And we know that uh, there are rules, according to, for example, international health regulations that um, uh, as far as being vaccinated against yellow fever and having documentation. You need to have the documentation. So my yellow fever vaccination uh uh, card, if you will, I have it stapled into my passport, so I can't lose it. So that you know, either getting in or exiting a country where I need to have proof of that vaccine, um, I have it. And now the good news is, it's good for life. You used to say it was good for only ten years, so I've gotten four or five of them over the years. But but now one shot protects you for life. So uh, you know, uh, it's very important to enforce the rules that already exist. And right now, I'm glad you brought that up because right now I've been talking about shortages in, in sub-Saharan Africa and Latin America, but since uh, a, a year ago, uh, so summer of 2017, through the end of this year, so for about 18 months, there's a shortage of yellow fever vaccine in the United States of America. And uh, it's not absolute, but it's it's um, it, it's quite significant. So it's more difficult than ever to get the yellow fever vaccine uh, in the United States, um, which you do need to get if you're going to countries that uh, have yellow fever um, virus that's that's uh, that's endemic. The reason for the shortage in the United States, and I believe also in Canada, um, is that in the United States, we had one manufacturing site, uh, I believe in the state of Pennsylvania, where <clears throat> a yellow fever vaccine was made, um, but only for U.S. use. and Due to some um, structural problem with the plant, uh, the manufacturing plant, um, it had to close down and it's being remade, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was thought originally that that might be completed by the end of the summer, but uh, there was a recent uh, public document saying that it will be probably the end of 2018 before yellow fever vaccine production will resume in the United States. I think it's reasonable to ask the manufacturer that makes the yellow fever vaccine in the United States and public health officials and others in the United States the same question as could be asked of, of colleagues in China, why not get the vaccine that's being made in the United States for domestic use and China for domestic use pre-qualified by World Health Organization so then that vaccine can be used anywhere in the world? So it could be added to the global stockpile of yellow fever vaccine, um, which is overseen by this international coalition, um, which tries to maintain 6 million doses in the global stockpile at all all times. But again, we've seen what happened in Kinshasa in 2016. Um, where 7.5 million people had to be vaccinated with one-fifth dose, and now even even in Brazil, which is of the four countries that do have yellow fever vaccine that are pre-qualified by by WHO, uh, Brazil produces the most. Um, There's also France, Sanofi Pasteur, and Institute um, Pasteur in Dakar, Senegal, and then the Chumakov uh, uh, Institute uh, in Russia that do have yellow fever vaccines, all produced in eggs, that are pre-qualified by WHO, so they can be used anywhere in the world, and they can contribute to the international stockpile of yellow fever vaccine.
0: Now, you know, we um, here at CSIS, we launched in mid-April a two-year commission on strengthening America's health security. It's really meant to be focused on the critical challenges at home and abroad in terms of health security. And so the question that, that this, this conversation raises, first and foremost, is how do you rank this particular threat that yellow fever poses? How do you rank it in the spectrum of, of disease and health security threats? Where do you place it?
1: So for me, I think it's the greatest known threat. There's always the unknown threats. Uh, It's only safest to say uh, pandemic influenza is the greatest threat. Uh, Fortunately, there's no known pandemic influenza new subtype uh, at this time, and as we know, there's only been the one pandemic flu since 1968, which was 2009-10, which thankfully wasn't nearly as bad as we thought it was gonna be, but um, so I think that, even before yellow fever comes to Asia, which I think it's a matter of when and not if, that's my opinion. And most importantly, we should operationally take action now and in the short term and the medium term to prepare for yellow fever epidemics in Asia. If it doesn't happen, great. It's just like smallpox, you know, it, it, there's no smallpox uh, epidemics uh, after 9-11. And that's wonderful. Um, but it doesn't mean that there shouldn't have been vaccination of some small group of voluntary you know, uh, first responders, for example. Mm-hmm. So I think that the consequences would be so terrible, not only for individual patients, for public health, but also uh, economically, for trade and travel, if there is yellow fever epidemics in the, in the near future, uh, really anywhere in Asia. But I think if it occurs anywhere in Asia, it's very likely to spread to multiple other Um, parts of Asia, other countries. Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, for me, yellow fever uh, coming to Asia is the greatest known threat. But even prior to that, what's happening right now in this year um, is that yellow fever virus has come right up to near the suburbs of major cities in Brazil. There hasn't been an urban outbreak of yellow fever in Brazil since the 1940s. But there's Widespread outbreaks in what's called the sylvatic cycle, so monkeys and in jungle, for example, or forest, um, uh, maintain a whole separate cycle of yellow fever. So it, it would be, I think, perhaps impossible to eliminate yellow fever as the world has eliminated smallpox. Mm-hmm. Smallpox, there's no animal reservoir, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. And that's partly why we could eliminate it. There's a lot of other reasons as well. But yellow fever... It exists in monkeys transmitted by mosquitoes, although not the Aedes mosquitoes, other species of mosquitoes. And so people that are in the forest uh, can get bitten by these mosquitoes and get infected with yellow fever. And that's happened to a large number of people the last two years in Brazil. And that's why Brazil said we have to vaccinate the whole country, because what happens is that people who get infected in the forest outside the cities um, in Brazil, then if they <clears throat> have yellow fever virus in their blood and they come into a city in Brazil and then the 80s mosquitoes that are in the cities bite them, take up the virus, and then infect and then bite somebody else and transmit the yellow fever virus, then you have urban yellow fever. Mm-hmm. And if that happens in Sao Paulo, it's probably going to happen in, in Rio and multiple mm-hmm. other places. And then the modeling papers that people have done on on travel, both domestic and international, mm-hmm. um, from Cities where there are uh, international airports and there's outbreaks of yellow fever, that could be the trigger for bringing um, yellow fever to Asia.
0: Um, just to wrap this up, um, uh, you know my uh, my takeaways from listening to you are um, are several. Uh, you know, if I were if I were sitting in the White House listening to you, I would come away in terms of U.S. policy with the conclusion that um, this issue the consciousness around this issue has changed significantly as a result of the Angola DRC outbreaks as a result of what's happened in Brazil and the fact that the government has taken this up in, in a big way and similarly in Nigeria so that the and the 2016 WHO global plan that picture, the context has changed significantly. Second, that as a matter of policy, the U.S. should elevate the visibility and priority of this particular challenge of yellow fever, and that there are some concrete actions that you're very much in favor of, I assume, move ahead in whatever it takes to get the pre-qualification of the American manufacturing capacity, I'm assuming you would be in support of raising the target for what the stockpile should be, the global stockpile of 6 million doses per year is insufficient, and there should be an effort at trying to raise that by getting higher manufacturing from those who are pre-qualified. I take away that we should see what can be done to accelerate the cell culture, but be very realistic that they're not going to deliver results in in the near to medium term, but it's an important long-term solution. And lastly, that this is an issue that should be inserted into our strategic dialogue with the Chinese and other Asian leading Asian states in trying to figure out how to collaborate on a technical level uh, in trying to better understand what the true threat is and how to get motivating Countries to be a little more proactive around this is that fair summation in your view? Yes, Steve. That's that's where this leaves uh, us.
1: Very fair, Um, uh, and I think it's past time for for those actions.
0: Well, thank you so much. This has been a a very illuminating and rich discussion, and thank you for everything you've done to carry this flag, really, to sort of bring this to our attention and to think very strategically around what can and should be done and what do we know and what do we not know. I mean, I think this is very constructive. So thank you, Dan.
1: Well, thank you very much, Steve. And I'd just like to emphasize again that there are multiple international colleagues that uh, feel similarly. Um, and I've, uh, whenever possible, met with them in person, uh, uh, colleagues from Brazil, from Singapore, from China, from um, multiple places in Nigeria, and... Um, so I'm just trying to be one more messenger. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be here today at CSIS. Well, we're delighted to have you with us.
0: So thank you for joining us for today's episode of our Take as Directed podcast featuring Dr. Daniel Lucy of Georgetown. We invite you to subscribe to Take as Directed so that we are sure that you never miss our latest episode. And for more information on our upcoming events and recent publications, please visit the CSIS.org Global Health Policy Center program page. Thank you.